0: Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Connell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer-turned-psychologist, Dr. Joni Connell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today, we've got Eric Weiss. Now, where do I start with Eric? He's done so much, and he does so much right now. I mean, he's led massive development projects worth billions of dollars, including a couple you may have heard of, like uh, that Sony PlayStation 3 and uh, Qualcomm's $9 billion patent licensing machine. Basically, if you're putting together a product strategy, Eric is somebody you want on your leadership team. But you probably have to hire him as a consultant because a lot of people want him on their teams. Eric is a startup advisor and a product technology consultant. And he's also published a book called Build the Right Things, How to Design and Build a Product People Will Love. We have so much to talk about. But first, let's welcome Eric. Hi, Eric.
1: Hi, Joni. Thank you so much. Thanks for the flattering intro.
0: (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited to have you on the show. We're honored to have you as a guest.
1: I appreciate it. Definitely happy to be here and uh, yeah, we're going to have some fun.
0: Oh, good. Well, I know you as a startup coach and also a product strategy expert, but you've also got this uh bio here with all sorts of crazy stuff like working at qualcomm and sony and these really big companies so i want to hear your story tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are now and how you actually came to write a book
1: yeah um yeah well so so i'm you know sort of an engineer by trade uh i worked my way up doing you know i've been writing code since i was really young um you know kind of in the early 90s the very first sort of pc revolution i was really into video games and coding and hacking and all this kind of stuff. So I got really into tech early on, Um, you know, went to school for it and everything and started working as a software developer, but really quickly kind of learned that my passion was in um, product and leadership and startups and so on. So I I went and got my MBA pretty much right away, Um, got certified to be a project manager and a scrum master and all this stuff. So I'd always kind of uh, bridge this gap between, you know the technology, the engineering side of things, and the and the product, and the and the business side of things. So, um, I spent yeah, as you said, most of my career working at, at very large tech companies, driving really large um, engineering projects. Um, but then I've had this consulting practice on the side for uh, over ten years now, basically ever since I got my MBA. Um, working with early stage startups and kind of growth stage startups to validate their business model, to gain traction, you know, raise some early capital, um, and then, you know, ultimately scale up and and grow and, and get acquired, you know, the whole kind of startup journey. Mm-hmm. Um, focusing early on, I was really big into where I still am really big into clean tech and renewable energy uh, so I was kind of where I focused things early on um, and then since then I've sort of branched out and and you know I've made it my my career um, so you know I've, I've been a cTO so I've driven you know completely owned the 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 engineering uh, delivery model at a at a tech company um, but I discovered you know through experience essentially that while I was so focused on efficiency of my engineering team of, you know, having really clean and clear sort of agile development methodologies and so on, um, nothing was less efficient than working on the wrong things. So if we had a product team or, or you know, founder that was driving us in the wrong direction, um, then it wouldn't matter how efficient we, we were, our work would essentially be, be useless. Um, and so I started leaning really heavily into product management and user experience research and design, and so on, um, to make sure that we were actually working on on the right things, building the right things, and, and, and doing it effectively. So, hence the name of the book: "Build the Right Things," um, you know, which which ultimately culminated in this. After so many years of of working in you know in the trenches as an engineer, as an engineering lead, um, and then as a consultant working with with product development teams. Realizing that that you know the biggest challenge that we that we face in product development teams is not, you know how um, how you know what our velocity or output is of our of our scrums or whatever it is. It's it's really that we're not we don't understand our customers, we don't understand our market, we don't understand our competition, and we don't really understand ourselves uh, well enough to to really define what that um, you know what that that vision should be, what that that ideal user experience should be. Um, so that's kind of the focus today is helping companies cl- clarify that vision, get closer to their customers and and build products that that really matter.
0: Wow, that's a lot. I have so many questions for you. <laughs> yeah, right. based on that. But, you know, I, I was actually thinking that I mean, you talk about your book and part of it is uh, building a product people will love. Mm-hmm. And yet I think of engineers and, you know, I was an engineer, so I, I feel like I can say this. Um, authentically that, you know, the stereotypical dream maybe, you know, is like for at at least recently, it seems to be like to get rich and famous, you know, and, (laughs) and get something going. And, um, yet, you know, engineers are notorious for caring more about the technology than the people. So Mm -hmm. how do you do that? How do you get engineers to care about the customer experience, or at least to see it from their perspective?
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. This is a really common uh, myth that I hear a lot. Um, It's actually one of kind of the first barriers that I have to Mm -hmm. overcome coming into any any team. Um, Yes, engineers love technology. I mean, there's just a cool factor to it and they want to work with, with new things. But more than anything, I mean, engineers want to have purpose in their work. Right. They don't want to feel like they are just, you know, been given this endless stream of work to do and just code things quickly and build features and whatever. They want to know that that the work that they're doing has has meaning and has impact, um, you know, in in, in, in the world and in, in real real people's lives. And so, you know, using technology to enable um, some benefit to to real people is 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 ultimately what engineers drive to do. They want their, the thing that they build to have to have purpose. Um, and the other thing is that is that engineering is a really creative endeavor. Um, engineers don't like to be told what to do any more than you know that a carpenter or any you know a painter would like to be told exactly how to to paint or, or how to build something. And so engineers like you know we're, we're natural problem solvers. We like to be brought into a kind of nebulous, difficult problem space, and then given freedom and creativity to use technology and tools to come up with an innovative and, and novel solution to it. So, um, so that's it. I, I think the challenge is that too many teams are structured in a way and too many leaders lead in a way that kind of puts pe- puts engineers in this mode where they're, they're decoupled from the purpose of their work. Um, they're not given creative freedom and, 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 you know, they almost become sort of beaten down into this mode that, that, that is what you, that is manifested in the way you mentioned where they say, I don't I don't care. Just let me work. Just let me build something. Let me let me fool around with this new technology because that gives me some, uh, you know, some enjoyment. But but again, they're they're disconnected from the larger picture.
0: Wow, that sounds like something that anyone, not just engineers, deal with. If they're too decoupled from the purpose of what they're doing, or the impact that they have, uh, they lose motivation and engagement. So, uh, bringing it out to the big picture and what their impact is, even if it's a small piece of code right? Mm-hmm. It still is making the machine work. Yeah. Exactly. Um, well, how do you um, help uh, them understand what features the customers need?
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, the whole philosophy in, in my practice and, and, you know, I think agile development in general is around creating empathy, mm-hmm. um, you know, empathy within teams and then also empathy between the team and and the outside world, so whether it's other teams in the organization, stakeholders, customers, what have you, the more we can understand things from other people's perspective, um, the more sort of intuition and innovation and, and sort of creative license we can have to solve those problems. So, you know, if I have no idea what, I'm, what the purpose is of the thing I'm building or who I'm building it for, then you need to tell me exactly what needs to be built in order for me to, to make that thing effective. If I know the user, I know the context, I know the purpose, and so on. Then again, I can use my own creativity and innovate and and come up with a you know with a solution that that really works. Um, so yeah, so so you know, for, as a product owner, or product manager, or or a visionary founder, what have you, you know, your job is to uh, you know amplify the customer voice, um, bring that context into the team. Uh, about you know who the who the customers are, the use cases, the workflows, the you know the the purpose and goals and so on intended for for whatever this product or feature may be, constantly in a way that that you know gives the the engineers a ton of feedback. Not only just you know in the outset, but even after something has been launched, to bring that feedback back in the team to say, hey, we built this thing and here's how it landed and here's some you know maybe some lessons we can learn and and use that to inform future decisions. So, so again, just the more we can connect the engineers to the purpose and the meeting and, and the, you know, the outside world, um, the, the better they're going to be at, at building things.
0: Is this like a face to face or, uh, just mm-hmm. feedback, uh, data, or, you know, how do you get the yeah. engineers and coders to, to actually understand the customers and what they're doing?
1: Yeah, all of those. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, customer feedback, Uh, qualitative and quantitative is, is a a great sort of constant data stream. Mm -hmm. So, you know, customer interviews, surveys, um, you know, things like that and using data and analytics to kind of drive, um, Mm -hmm. to, 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 to provide insight to the team as to how, um, customers are using the product. But yes, absolutely. Uh, video face to face, not only that bringing the engineers out into the world where the product is being used, you know, actually seeing it in action, um, again, just creates a lot of context and, and appreciation for for what they're building.
0: Yeah, sometimes like the real world is a lot different than a lab, right? <laughs> they're like, wait, you have your coffee cup balanced on top of your computer. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah,
1: you know, I actually, as a, I I mentioned that a lot. I have a um I have an anecdote so. I was working on this music app for for runners called Rock My Run. And, um, you know, so it was, a, it was a, a you know music app, right? So it was a play button and skip and you could read info about the music and just a general music player. And then what we didn't realize is that when you actually took the thing outside and then you stuck it in an armband and then you were running you know, the the real estate of the play button and the skip buttons, you know, if you hit the wrong button, Uh you would screw up your experience or like, I'm not, I don't care about this, this tiny little font telling me about the song. I can't read it. It's, you know, direct sunlight and whatever. Um, And so it actually forced us to like, you know, take our product outside before we shipped it to a customer. And there's many times that we made design revisions because we actually use our product in the way that the, you know, the customers will.
0: Yeah, that's key. Wow, that's a really good example too. Well, you know, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the podcast is because I actually saw your talk at the seven CTOs conference and your talk was called Abandoning the Assembly Line, Agile First Principles. Mm -hmm. Um, And you're also an agile coach, right? Mm -hmm. Can you do that? Yeah. Okay. So I'm particularly interested in the people side of agile. And one of the things that you talked about was building effective teams. So can you tell us a little bit about how to do that? You know, we talk about the tech and the customers. What about the teams themselves?
1: Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that obviously is is the um, the foundation of everything. You know, the process and methodology doesn't matter if, if the team doesn't, uh, you know, own it and internalize it and they're not motivated and so on. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, I, I have this agile coaching practice um, that is that pretty much comes right out of that talk. And, and in fact, that talk I give is, it's sort of the kickoff to every new agile coaching engagement that I give. Um, and essentially it's that, you know, there's two sort of failure patterns in the world of, of agile development. One is where you say you're agile, but you really have no methodology. Um, and you just have this sort of task cue, this ticketing queue. People call it Kanban, but they're not really doing Kanban. They're really just you know, they've just got a queue of endless tasks and they're just picking them off the top and, and getting them done. Um, and that was what I call the assembly line because there's this constant endless stream of work that's coming at you without any larger context. Right. It doesn't tie into any sort of theme or initiative or goal or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just these endless you know, flow of, of tasks. Um, the other failure pattern is when you have this incredibly dogmatic approach to agile where you've got this agile, you know, the scrum Bible and you, you, you very rigorous, uh, adherence to ceremonies and, and so on. Um, and it adds a lot of overhead, but it's so easy to fake it. It's so easy to, to do everything perfectly within the realm of the framework of scrum and yet still not adhere to any of the principles in the agile manifesto, which is, you know, what I, what I address in that talk. Mm-hmm. Um, which which is really what 's meaningful, which is around um you know connecting with with the, the the business you know on a regular basis, delivering customer value iterating quickly so that you know you can adapt to changing uh, requirements and marketplace and and all these other things um and so I start with that you know with that manifesto uh and and break down sort of the principles um and then you know and then try to internalize that in the team so so to answer your question directly how do we create effective teams i have this um this kind of framework or these quadrants or let's just say there's there's four things that i (laughs) that i focus on um one is as i said before creating empathy that's the first thing creating empathy within the team so you know getting out um what are the values of the team the shared you know shared values goals and principles um uh you know creating a, a an open and trusting environment where people can give each other feedback um, and, and then again, through the customer voice and everything, creating empathy with, uh, with the user. So that's kind of stage one. Um, stage two is, you know, they need to have, uh, we need to build autonomy in the team. So they need to have all the skills and the tools and the resources, uh, and the freedom that they, that they need to get the job done. So if they're making a commitment to, to a certain scope of work in a sprint, that they have complete control over whether or not they succeed or fail, you know they own their they own their their destiny um, and then that creates an environment where where you have ownership and accountability, okay so then we instill that they that they own their process, they own their successes or failures, they own their problems um, and and you know there's there's no one else to 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 point the blame to because it's all within that mm-hmm. team, and they've given all the tools and everything to work out these problems. Uh, and then the last piece is a, is a growth mindset. Um, so establishing a culture of continuous improvement, and uh, and and you know again continually sort of coaching and, and guiding the team to always try to be you know one percent better. You know the cumulative one percent rule, right? One percent better than they were in the last uh, in the last iteration. So giving them that that forum to be open and reflect and be honest with each other and and have you know radical candor and and so on um and then just have that that mindset that they that they you know always want to keep growing and keep learning and, and being better.
0: Wow, um interesting. Um and uh, it sounds to me like it, uh it, the authenticity has to be there otherwise it's it's not going to work. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Well, I have a question that I've been meaning to ask for a long time and you're the perfect person to ask it <laughs> to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I mean I basically got out of engineering before agile came around and I remember talking to a friend who's still an engineer and he was talking about it. Like we have these sprints and it's, it's, you know, two weeks. And you've talked about agile is, uh, like this marathon that never ends cause you mm-hmm. keep sprinting, you know, you keep, and, and I'm thinking like, okay, I can see the appeal for the business, right? Because that just means continuous improvement and people working hard all the time. Um, but what about the people? I mean, I can't even imagine running a marathon. First of all, it never ends. But sprinting one, I mean, yeah, <laughs> yeah how, you know, how do people take care of themselves? What, how does that work?
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, no. So, so um, you know, this this whole concept of a sprint is uh, it, it, it's sort of a myth. But it, it kind of paints this this image that we're going all out, hundred percent of the time. We never stop, you know, pushing as hard as we can, um, and and that's that's a myth. You know, I think really the essence of, of Agile development is that we're looking for a sustainable pace that we can continue indefinitely because the purpose of, of, of Agile development and, and Scrum certainly is to have some level of predictability when we know that it's an ever-changing world, right? So, so, you know, waterfall and so on, they kind of take for granted that the world is predictable when really it's not, and that's why things always fall off the rails. Um, but with agile development, we're trying to, again, get some degree of predictability when we know that the future is is uncertain. So what we really try to do in agile development is to figure out, you know, can we assess and sort of trim to a level of productivity um, that is, that is again, sustainable, repeatable, predictable, and, and so on. So that's why all, we do all these, you know, estimates and, and do our retrospectives and, and so on to try to figure out there is a true productive output of the team uh, and we want to figure out what that is and then stick to that. So not to overcommit uh, and not to push ourselves so hard that, that inevitably what happens is we start cutting corners. Uh, you know, we accumulate technical debt and, 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 challenges and so on. So that the system kind of grinds to a halt. And then eventually what happens is we can't release any new feet. You know, we our, our development uh, velocity slows down, because we've we've engineered ourselves into into a corner essentially. So, f- baking in time for you know maintenance and DevOps and you know bug fixes, refactoring, all these sorts of things. Now these are are software uh, specific terms, but you know mm-hmm. there could be the analogs in, in other industries. Essentially, making sure that you're not pushing so hard on delivering features that you abandon your investments in the team's ability to. Uh, to continue a sustained pace as the company grows, as the product grows and and matures and so on.
0: Well, that actually sounds like a lot of uh, forethought and strategy there because, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're not ending up piling it on and uh, going crazy for three months at the end, trying to beat the schedule that you've been delayed on. You're actually thinking ahead of time, like how are we going to do this uh, at a reasonable pace and, and sustainable. I love that word. You said it a couple times. So, uh, so that you're actually not like the ups and downs, like suddenly you're not doing anything. And then suddenly you're working like crazy and burning out. Yeah. Yeah.
1: A lot of, a lot of team, you know, they, I, I do get asked a lot, like, should we not have a time to sort of pause or recharge mm-hmm. after a sprint or after a major release, things like that. Um, you know, I, I'd say, you know, sure if you feel you need to, but it shouldn't be necessary. It shouldn't be that you reach the end mm. of some cycle completely burned out and collapsing and need, you know, a week or whatever it is to recharge. Or, you know, you've, you've introduced so many bugs that now you have to spend two weeks fixing bugs, you know, and you can't deliver any, any new value. Um, what I do really urge is celebration at the end of a cycle or the end of a release. I, I think that that's a really big piece that that a lot of times goes missing. Um, you know, I mean, folks don't even, that, that's one, one problem that really happens a lot in, in especially sort of sprint-based scrum teams is that they just roll right from one into the next and they never take the time to acknowledge what they accomplished. Um, and, and that's something that, you know, is, is a shame. I think that, you know, teams doing good work, they get to the end of the sprint, they push new value. They should take the time to not only reflect on what they did and how they can improve their process, but also like, yeah, go out for dinner or drinks or whatever it is. And just kind of, you know, take a moment to, to be happy and accomplished for for what you did.
0: Yeah, that's great. People forget that so often. So that's a great reminder. Well, before we, um, uh, finish up here. I want to ask you about yourself because I mean we've talked a lot about how people do things in Agile and all that. But um, one of the things that people like to hear about on this show is uh, you know your own personal development journey, and you know how you uh, dealt with leadership challenges and really the people side of that and like what has come up for you. Uh, maybe pick an example or a couple things that you can think of, and you know how did you handle them and you know what did you learn.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a big question. So I have to draw from from quite a varied experience. But yeah. uh, you know, I, I um, I mean, people people are the most difficult part of of building technology, building products. Um, the the yeah, the technology is very rarely the thing that holds us back. It's it's usually um, it's usually the people. It's usually people within the team or relations between um, people in various teams. Uh, you know, people living in different places, different time zones, you know, communication barriers and so on. Um, And so those are the things I think that technology leaders really need to be more mindful of um, is that it's not all about the work. It's not all about the code and the technology. It's, it's really making sure that, that your people are, um, you know, are are cared for and motivated and and um you know that that they're given the the, the creative license and freedom and purpose and and all these sorts of things um, now as a you know as a consultant uh I get to kind of jump in with all these different um different companies and and when I get to see these patterns and I have the all mm-hmm. of these mental models around different archetypes uh of people Especially when it comes to, you know, CEOs, they're, um, they're an interesting bunch, uh, and have to be dealt with uh, delicately. Um, you know, the advice I would give to, you know, a founder uh, of, a, of a small team, or let's just say, yeah, you're a founder, you're a CEO, um, is that you know, you have to have a certain level of humility. Uh, you have to acknowledge that you don't have all the answers, even if you think you do. And that's kind of the hardest thing uh, for, for a CEO to do, because a lot of times what comes with the CEO type is is a is a very high level of confidence um in their vision and their own abilities and so on. Um, and you know, while that gets you to the position of being a founder of a CEO, because it'd be hard to get there if you didn't have those things, uh it also can 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 hurt you as well. So the first thing I'd say is you know you gotta be able to find people that you can trust uh, and then trust them to do their job. So get out of their way. Um, so I, I say, you know, having your generals or having your 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 lieutenants, if you will, but having those people around you that, um, you know, that you can completely delegate, completely offload, and completely trust uh, uh, to get the job done, and allow yourself to, you know, elevate to to a higher level um, at the startup phase. In in larger companies, again, I spend a lot of time in, in big tech companies as well. Gosh, there's just so much bureaucracy there's so much talking, you know, without doing, Um, I I call it, you know, there's design by committee everywhere. Uh, There's, there's status quo consensus building everywhere. Um, And that really, really, really hinders uh, innovation at at large companies. Um, You know, I I have a, one of my best friends works at at Apple. um, And, you know, I get to hear about, you know, the insider kind of take of how things work there. And the conclusion I've come to is, Apple is a company that has been incredibly successful despite their culture, not because of it. Um, Because, you know, just like, I mean, imagine what a trillion dollar company looks like. Uh, It's full of process, full of overhead, full of politicking and so on. It's the same thing in any, in any major enterprise. So the advice I give to anyone, you know, that's in that world that's sort of jockeying and meandering in that space is, you know, one um, uh, I'd say like ask for forgiveness, not permission. Um, be sort of fearless and go out and do things, and, and don't be such a uh, don't be so focused on consensus building. Um, and you know, the other thing I'd say is is really try. You know, it, it becomes that much harder to get that empathy piece. So to figure out where your work connects to the big picture, and something that you really have to be mindful of. If you're a, a leader of a team at a large organization, it's that much more challenging and difficult and important to figure out how to connect your people to the to the purpose. I like to say, you know, there's this this uh cog in the machine mentality. Mm-hmm. And so I like to say that we want our people to feel like they're the machine, not the cog. You know? So how do we give them a sense of identity that they are they are the big picture, they're not just this tiny little little piece of it. Um and that just takes constant reinforcement and and uh and you know again amplifying the customer voice mm-hmm. and so on. Um, but yeah.
0: Wow. Uh, yeah, well, it sounds like uh, we need to go out for a drink sometime and hear all your stories because it sounds like you got some juicy ones that maybe you don't want to air. Um, that's I, that's I great. It. So, <laughs> I, I think we all do. So, <laughs> um, well, um, you know, people might want to get in touch with you, especially if you're consulting, but also for your book. Mm-hmm. Um or even your speaking, because I know you do uh public speaking as well. So um how do people get in touch with you? I mean we'll have this written up on the show notes, but let's hear sure. it.
1: Yeah, yeah. So so my website is uh fullcycleproduct.com. Um and so on there I'm actually giving away my book for free now. I I, I charged for it for a while, but then I just found myself just giving it away to anyone who would who would take it because <laughs> I want to <laughs> spread the message. So uh, yeah, if you go to fullcycleproduct.com. Uh, you can just sign up and, and get a, a free copy of the book, both uh, ebook and a, an audiobook. Uh, it's it's brief. I, I made it intentionally brief uh, because I well, actually, I learned that um, in the world of business books, only ten percent of people actually finish the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, the, the methodology or the approach I took is I'd rather have a shorter book that people finish than a longer one that people don't. Um and so yeah, so so go for that. And then um that kind of leads into I, I also built an online course uh which is intended for early stage um founders, early stage startup founders, so and, and product leaders, product managers as well. Um and you know it kind of it kind of dovetails off of the book but but goes into a lot more detail and, and also expands on it. Um but the goal there for me was basically I had this I've always had this really great audience with with startup founders, but um they don't have a lot of money. And so it's always really hard for me to engage with them. And I ended up giving, I ended up giving away a lot of myself for free. Uh, and so I, I finally found a way to kind of provide value uh, to that, you know, to that group of people, that cohort of people at a, you know, at a very low cost. And so, and that, and that includes some, some coaching as well. So, um, you know, the, the, basically the, the cost of the course just pays for a little bit of consulting time with me. Um, and then from there, yeah. So on my, on my website, you can connect with me and, uh, um, you have a links to all my social media. So I've got a, a YouTube channel, uh, and a blog there as well. So I expand on this and a lot of other, other topics and, uh, yeah, you, you can even, um, uh, you'll, if you sign up, you'll get a little email. You can connect with me on, on Calendly, book some time on my calendar and even get a little free one-on-one coaching if you're interested.
0: Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, uh, go to Eric's website. You can get his book for free and get some consulting in there too at a reasonable cost. Well, thank you so much for being a guest on Reinventing Nerds, Eric.
1: Thank you, Joni. I appreciate it. It was great to, great great being here, for sure.
0: Yeah, this has been really interesting uh, to hear uh, your advice and your varied experiences. And I think people are going to get a lot out of this um, thinking about it. And hopefully they will also connect with you after the show. So yes. thank you.
1: Awesome. All right. Thanks, Joni. Appreciate it. And thank you, everyone, for listening.
0: Yeah. And thanks to the listeners and the viewers. Uh, we're here at ReinventingNerds.com we hope you enjoyed today's episode of reinventing nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better for a free consultation with joni to see how she can help you further please visit reinventingnerds.com. until then embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies